good morning, good afternoon, depending where you are. Welcome to another podcast of the Daily Mind. How's everyone Sunday? How's everyone's weekend? Um, hopefully you had a decent weekend and um, you are mentally refreshed and ready for the week. You know, we go through this gauntlet every day, every week. It's almost like wash, rinse, and repeat for some of us. Um, that's just the way it is. Um, nothing you can really do too much about it. I mean, you can, but you know, that's completely up to you. So um, before I get into today's topic, I, I want to um, just put a little thing out there about the show. Um, what I'm going to start doing is slowing down the show a little bit. What I mean by this is, of course, contrary to the title of the episode, The Daily Mind, when I started this show, The Daily, um, the idea was to do an episode every single day. Um, like I said before, there's days where I'll take a break here and there, but um, I will still be producing episodes very frequently. Um, it's just going to slow down a little bit. So there might be some days and some gaps um, with the show. Um, there may be days where I'm not doing it on a Monday, so you won't get that news out of a hat, or I won't do it on a Friday where you will get that episode of, uh, you know, is there such thing as a stupid question? There's nothing wrong with that. It just kind of like, I'm, you know, I, I look back at it. I'm like, damn, I'm already nine seasons in eight months. Um, that's virtually, on average, about a season a month. So 25 episodes a season, that's how I usually lay out my show. So I want to start stretching out the seasons a little bit more, maybe you know, stretch along a little bit, maybe two months, a month and a half, depending. So I have like this little system on uh, when to do episodes. But don't fear. The show is very much still going, still alive. Um, it's just, like I said, I'm going to slow it down a little bit. Um, you're going to notice some days where I don't, and that's fine. You know, it's, um, you know, I've been doing more research in the podcast, and not everybody does shows every day. Some are weekly, some are monthly. Um, I try to keep it as daily as possible, but... Uh, Oh, no, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, I just like to keep listeners somewhat informed and give some sort of predictability. Okay, so, hey, I want to talk about today a, a topic um, I've spoken many times about before and some variation of video games. But not just video games. What I want to talk about is failed video game consoles. That's right, because uh, there are some, uh, comp- there's some consoles out there that, that mm, just kind of missed the mark. And RIP to those consoles, nonetheless. Um, so a little bit of my video game history is very simple. I started playing video games uh, very, very early age. I'd say somewhere around three, four years old. Um, wh- the first game I believe I've ever played was either the, the original NES Super Mario Brothers or Duck Hunt. Um, one or the two are one of the first games I ever played and got hooked ever since. Now I'm sitting here playing my PS4, PS5, my Switch. Um, I'm, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. I've gotten many consoles over the years. Uh, my aunt who raised me bought me damn near every console that came out. I had a Super Nintendo. I had a Virtual Boy. That's very rare to find. Um, I had a Genesis. I had a 32X. I had a PlayStation, PS2, PS3, Dreamcast. Didn't get a Sega Saturn. Wasn't very much interested in a Sega Saturn. But um, yeah, just uh, you, you kind of get the idea. So, um, you know, not every company comes out with a hit like even sony has dropped the ball on failed hardware um i would say the the worst idea they probably had was the the ps vita which was supposed to live off the success of the psp um a lot went wrong with it but it was very simple sony did not really push or promote the ps vita like they did the psp okay and then you got nintendo with the virtual boy which was a nightmare to people's eyes because they only saw this black and red monocolor, and it was just such an awkward thing to play. It wasn't even a lot of titles to go with it. And then, you know, Sega 
with their unfortunate demise with the Dreamcast, which I still don't think is a failed console, but it failed nonetheless. I think it had a run. Um, it was released here in the U.S. around September 9th, 1999, and I'd say the last few games of the Dreamcast probably came out like 2002, maybe 2003. It stretched longer in Japan, of course, but here, once the PS2 came out, it was just basically... Uh, it was R.I.P. for the Dreamcast, but um, yeah, there's there's companies out there that just you know they you know ideas. You know, one thing about being the consumer is that the consumer always wins because you get some of the most innovative and creative technologies from these video game companies. But sometimes it doesn't really catch on to all of us. It doesn't resonate or translate very well for us. Um, what sometimes looks good on paper does not look good in the final product. So you know. I have my own list of I, I have my list of video failed video game consoles or handhelds. I'd say the Game Gear was one. Um, color screen, which definitely topped over the Game Boy, is just it was such a bitch to carry around. It was huge. It was bulky. Little screen. The batteries was a killer. Okay, the Sega Nomad, which was basically a portable Genesis, very rare to find. It's awesome to play a Genesis game on the go, but just like the Game Gear, uh, it it the battery. The battery thing, man. Six AA batteries. You take a guess of how long you think that lasts. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, what I'm going to do now is um, I found this list of failed video game uh, consoles, if I can just find it again. Okay, there we go. Uh, there's quite a few. There might be some on here that don't make it. I found uh, a somewhat of a comprehensive list here. Um, let's see. Maybe this is a better list. Let me see. I found... Um, Ooh, okay, yeah, you know what? I'll take this list. This list seems a little bit more of uh, some some of the couple of products that I just named off the top of the head. Now, this is on a website called TechCrunch.com, which is uh, titled The History of Video Game Console Failures. Okay, now, some of you may or may not agree with this list, which is perfectly fine. I will have a, a, a say or two because I'm pretty sure um, some of the hardware I had on it um, that I've had and grown up with is on this list. And of course, if you have any opinions on this, I'm going to uh, put it in our, the, the Q&A. And also, you know, you can email me as well. Uh, what you think is the, the the console of failures. Or did your mom ever buy you a console that was supposed to be the hottest thing and it failed? Can you imagine you getting a Sega Saturn and you're like, man, Sega Saturn's better than PlayStation. But Sega Saturn failed. Now you just got this box of fucking... You got this electronic box with not a lot of games and it just sit there and collect dust i think for most people i know with a sega saturn that's exactly what happened sony had titles coming out on the playstation all the way up to like 2002 so i mean yeah you 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 tell me which one was the better of shit i think the last playstation 2 game if i'm not mistaken came out in like 2010 if I'm not mistaken, like that's how you know that's longevity right there. There were games coming out for the PS2 as the PS3 was just starting, so that should tell you something. Okay, so I'm gonna go on this list, right? Um, I'll read the intro since I got plenty of time here. It says, uh, the history of console gaming is littered with high profile flops, middling also rants, um, and vaporware and neverwares. In fact, the stories of console failures are perhaps even more compelling than the tales of those companies that crossed the finish line. Thankfully for every Nintendo Switch, there are countless virtual boys. So what precisely constitutes a, co a console failure? 
it's a product really a flop if i bought if it bought users hours of joy it's important to note that failure is a relative concept both the nintendo wii u and the gizmondo made the list but one sold 13 million units and the other 24,000 and involved the swedish mafia we'll find out which one that is so this list is very short but i think it's uh yeah it's definitely the list i want to read uh, i don't want no real drawn out list and of course i'll probably make some honorable mentions within the show to kind of fit in between in my experience with some of these consoles because there are a few that uh that made it on the list that i've actually had uh let's see here all right so the first one on this list is is um the Panasonic 3DO. This was a very unusual console. You know, this is Panasonic, okay? This is the, uh, you know, you already had, uh, the Japanese was basically the forerunners for video game consoles and software. You already had uh, Nintendo out there. Nobody was touching Nintendo or Sega. Sony was just somewhere lurking in the background. They wasn't coming up yet. Interestingly, though, uh, Sony and Nintendo did collab on the prototype, and it was probably being developed around this same time. But then, you know, Panasonic is like, hmm, let me jump in on this. You know, video games don't seem to be much of a fad as many would, you know, initially thought and believe. So anyway, 1993, Panasonic 3DO. In 1993, the Panasonic 3DO was named Time Magazine's product of the year. Three years later, it was discontinued. The console was cutting edge for its time and it sported a price tag to match $700. Yeah, $700, people. That's that's pretty expensive for uh for such a thing. Um yeah. So yeah, it was uh it just $700 was just way too steep for a product looking for a foothold in a market dominated by Nintendo and Sega. Gaming delays meant that the system only launched with one title. The futuristic racing game crash and burn. The console will continue having trouble securing exclusive titles for the remainder um, of its short life. By which point, Sony had entered the gaming market with a new system called the PlayStation. Yes, the PlayStation came out actually, um, I think it came out in Japan in like 1994, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then, you know, it came out in the U.S., I believe around 1995. I never even looked to a Panasonic 3DO. When you look at this thing, it does look pretty futuristic for its time, but it also looks like a big-ass VC. It looks like a VCR. If I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Have you ever seen a Panasonic 3DO? The controller is kind of like... Um, it is inspired by a Sega Genesis. It's almost got the same ABC layout, which, as you can see, you know, by then, six-button controllers were the thing, so they were already behind. And then the overall look looks like one of its... Uh, VCR products. Like I said, it's it's very very expensive. Okay, but see, I think they were like, you know, t the technology don't always win. Yeah, you know, Nintendo's proven that. Nintendo has always been behind, somewhat in the graphics wars, and you know, Panasonic was like we could up one, but man, that price tag I bet uh, scared quite a few people away. So um, yeah, that that definitely was not happening. All right, so this next one I personally had was uh, the Virtual Boy was introduced in 1995. Now, what the funny thing about the Virtual Boy is I remember the commercial growing up. There was a kid, I think, running away from this really tall Virtual Boy with long legs and stuff like that, looking up on YouTube, whatever. Then when you finally see the product, it's literally a tabletop virtual headset with little legs and the unit itself. Now, the crazy part about this unit 
it's supposed to be virtual, but you were only able to see two colors in it. It was it was a red and black sort of monochrome CRT screen type deal, and it, there was a lot of complaints about it hurting children's eyes. You have to exclusively look into this thing to play the game. Now, the only game I remember playing, there was two games. There was Mario Tennis and this other Mario game. I forgot what it was called, but uh, yeah, this was a very awkward one. So it said, in some ways, the Virtual Boy was pure Nintendo. It was one of the most innovative home consoles ever released, predating handset headsets like the Oculus Rift and HTC Vive by decades. But the world wasn't ready for the technology, or rather the technology wasn't ready for the world. The big plastic headset was painful to wear, headache-inducing, and the games were flat and monochrome, a giant disappointment after promises of a VR immersion. It was a swing from the fences that was ultimately a spectacular whiff. The company only moved 800,000 units, although discontinuing the Virtual Boy less than a year after its release. Now, there's one thing you need to know about the Japanese, or particularly the Japanese businessmen. Japanese businessmen are very prideful and hardworking when it comes to a product. If somebody prevent, uh, pre you know, presents a product and that product fails, that is complete shame on that person and the company in, in ways unimaginable. Now, whoever came up with this idea for the Virtual Boy probably may have gotten fired. Now, you have to understand is that, yes, this is the granddaddy of the Oculus and all the VR headsets you see today. And it was just a bit much. Kids was just comfortable, I think, just sitting in front of a TV or even carrying their little Game Boy and Game Gear. Kids wasn't ready for this shit yet. I mean, it was just extra work. In a sense, you had to look into this little-ass screen. You know, it's kind of like what you look into when you go to the optometrist and you got to sit there and, and read the letters and shit. It was, it was just like that. Now, if you find one of these virtual boys, they're, pro they're very rare. There's 800,000 of them made, and there's no luck. If you find one in a Goodwill, hold on to that shit. But the finding the hardware supporting and the software is going to be the problem. You understand what I'm saying? I did get a Virtual Boy, and I played the hell out of it. I really did. And it faded into obscurity really, really quickly. But now you see why. It just, it, was, it wasn't ready. Now, it, the commercials presented it in a way that was the future. The commercials oversold it. And then when like, people seen this thing, they're like, what the fuck am I looking at? This is this is it's hurting my eyes. Yeah, rest in peace of Virtual Boy. If you do have one, hold on to it. It's going to be worth a lot of money to someone. All right, number three. Now, remember, the PlayStation is already out. We're already getting into the era of games on CD-ROMs. The Sega Saturn. You know what? I'm not even going to bother turning that down. That's annoying, but whatever. Uh, 1995, the Sega Saturn. Now... They just got over the Genesis. Okay, now I'm really turning that shit. <laughs> that is so fucking annoying. All right, so yeah, it's 1995. The PlayStation is right around the corner. The N64 is not that far behind. But now we're getting into the era of games on compact disc. Okay, um, so now comes this. So the Sega Genesis, they, they fucking burned it to the ground. They came out with three different versions of the console itself. They came out with the 32X peripheral. Okay, which was supposed to extend the life of the Genesis, but it fell flat. Now it was time to come up with something new. So, the Sega Saturn was born. So, the Sega Saturn is still remembered fondly by many of those who bought the system in the mid-1990s, but Saturn's story was troubled from the start. Fearing Sony's entry into space, Sega pushed the product out the door too quickly, annoying retailers and developers in the process. 
not to mention all the consumers who couldn't find the unit on store shelves. Like so many other entries on the list, the Saturn also had a severe lack of launch titles, including the notable absence of a Sonic the Hedgehog title. The closest the company came to having its own Mario, moving only a fraction of its competitors, the company pulled the plug on the console in 1998, but not before it began leaking info about the upcoming Dreamcast. I think the Sega Saturn was a throwaway console. I think the Sega Saturn was sort of the prototype for the Dreamcast. I don't think they really cared. All right, yeah. They may have been pretty scared about Sony. Sony had these motherfuckers shaking. Now, you figure Sega would be a little bit more cool about the situation. They've been in the gaming business longer than Sony, right? But when they found out Sony was coming out with a CD-ROM-based game, they were like, we'll jump on it first. That was the problem. Because they jumped in without a fucking clue on this console and how it would sell. The software was not ready or you got incomplete games. And people, it just probably came out at a time where people just either didn't have the money or it's just like, oh, where the fuck did this come from? And now I can't find it. So, yeah, with that being said, Saturn only lasted three sad years. But it, it, I think that's another one, too, that it didn't come out with a Sonic. By then, Sonic was an established household mascot. It was, it's like Nintendo not having a Mario game. That was basically what they did with Sonic. But I think one did eventually come out, but it was already too late. If Saturn would have just waited for the console to come out, yeah, Sony would have came out first. But Saturn would have came out with a Sonic title, a solid one, that would have you know, kept the system around a little bit longer. And I think just them pushing the panic button was what killed the Sega Saturn. Now, I've never had a Sega Saturn. I was never interested in it. Um... But interestingly enough, uh, the Saturn and the PlayStation shared games like Die Hard Trilogy, um, Mortal Kombat Trilogy. And if you look at both of those games on a side-by-side comparison, either way, the PlayStation version was far more superior um, when it came to that. Actually, no, I take that back. Saturn didn't even have Mortal Kombat Trilogy. They had Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. But if you had looked at Die Hard Trilogy, which is one of my favorite games, side-by-side with Saturn... And PlayStation, PlayStation was far more superior. Saturn, I think, was also lacking in power or may have even been slightly more powerful than the PlayStation. Just the PlayStation was just simple and practical. And it came out at a decent time. Yeah. Interestingly enough, though, the the, uh, the original controllers were not DualShocks. In fact, the original controllers didn't even have analog sticks. But that was shortly changed. All right, so this next one, mm, from your boys from Apple, even Apple, through even before Microsoft even thought about gaming, Apple already tried it. So in 1996, they introduced the Apple Pippin, spelled just like the basketball player. Uh, it says five years before Microsoft launched the first Xbox, Apple gave it a go with the Pippin, manufactured by Bandai. Those are the guys who make toys, by the way. And based on the Macintosh platform, Apple seemed uncommitted to the project right out the gate, relying on Bandai to do the heavy lifting for promotion. The system was expensive. The library was limited, and the game space was overcrowded. In all, only 42,000 units were actually sold before Steve Jobs put an end, uh, put an end to the project where he returned to the company the following year. Funny, because I've never seen that shit in not one store. 42,000 units. That should tell you right there that if, and if you have a Apple Pippin, then you should probably hold on to it. But it's just going to be sitting there collecting dust because there's no sort of support whatsoever for that damn thing but nonetheless i i never heard of it 
But this is this goes to show you that yes, people, Apple did actually make a gaming console, right? Even before Microsoft thought about the gaming console. So there you go. All right, this next one. Now, this was at a time where cell phones were not exactly smart, okay? And one of the only games you could play on your phone at the time was like Snake. But the guys at Nokia thought, well, what if we could combine a phone and a video game console into one? It sounds genius, right? It, it, was, it was a perfect idea, and it was probably one of the most advanced phones before the iPhone, the Nokia N-Gage. So this came out in 2003. Base, it was essentially a cell phone in the shape of a Game Boy, and you were able to put uh, games in it, like a little, um, like, a, looks like a little memory card. It looks like a, a Nintendo Switch um, card, like, you know, the game. Um, it says, a phone that played video games that was the crazy pipe dream of Nokia's N-Gage. And the N-Gage didn't fail for lack of trying. Nokia released two versions of the portable console phone back-to-back -back years. The company fixed some of the design flaws with the 2004's N-Gage QD. But that device only managed to sell 2 million units in two years. That's two-thirds of the total N-Gage sales. Causing the company to end the, life, um, the line in 2006. Unable to let sleeping dogs lie, Nokia bought back the Engage name for a mobile gaming service, which was discontinued the following year. So I guess they, they try to go digital at this point. Now, I do remember seeing Engages in GameStops at the time. In fact, Tony Hawk was even on Engage. And you know what? It was somewhat of a nice little powerful thing. It was not cheap. It, 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 it did display 3D graphics. But again, it, it was just... I think it was just ahead of its time. And this came out, I believe, just a year before um, before the PSP. I think the PSP dropped the following Yeah, the PSP dropped the following year, and they stuck with the platform of just being handheld. But you were able to surf the web when Wi-Fi was relatively new, and it was just a much cooler thing. And you could watch movies on UMDs. Perfect. You know, and Nokia was just, mm, they had the right idea. Okay, so this odd one. I don't know. I've never even heard of this one. Uh, it's called The Phantom. Came around, it came out around 2004. And I'm looking at a picture here. It just looks like a keyboard with a USB flash drive and a mouse and some awkward looking platform here. Um, I don't know what the fuck it is. I'm going to read it, though. Maybe some of you may have heard of this. I personally never heard of it. It says, can a console that never really existed be considered a failure? True to its name, the Phantom console was more ghost than video game system. The console promised state-of-the-art specs and then and then a, a then revolutionary direct download content system that did away with traditional physical gaming medium. Okay, wait, this is starting to refresh my memory. This thing, whatever this was supposed to be, was creating quite a buzz around this time. And it had ideas that are already working. You know, the, um, being able to download games digitally. Okay, it says the company pushed back the system's release date year after year, ultimately becoming one of the gaming's best-known examples of vaporware. The company also suffered from shady business decisions, though they had nothing on what was coming the following year. And the following year, I believe the Xbox came out. That's where, <laughs> that's where they missed the mark. Yes, uh, the Xbox 360, I believe, came out around 2005. Just only about... Four years after the initial Xbox. So, yeah, they, they kind of missed the ball on that. Now, this next one, this is also another oddie. 
um, the Gizmondo. Uh, for some of you that may or may have not heard of it, it came out in 2005. It says here, someday the story of the Gizmondo will be the basis of an entertaining but wholly unbelievable movie. Highlights of the Tiger Telematics handheld release include the Million Dollar Celebrity Party, the Swedish Mafia, and a crash Ferrari Enzo. They need to make a movie about this shit. And at the end of the day, all Tiger Telematics had to show for it was 25,000 systems, so that $300 million in debt only 14 games were produced before the console crashed and burned less than a year after its release. Its bestseller was a colorful village-style game called, no joke, Sticky Balls. Yeah, Sticky Balls. A slew of other slated titles, including Mama Can I Mow the Lawn, didn't make it out in time. Mama Can I Mow the Lawn? Dude, that already sounds like a rated M game right there. And in the game, you got sticky balls. I, I don't even think they took this shit really serious at all. Um, not, not one bit. No, they did not take this shit. All right, so the next one. Um, now, I have to agree, this is just doing too much too soon. Yes, when you think Nintendo can't do wrong, they sure can. Picture yourself. You're at the height. You are at one of the highest selling consoles of all time, the Wii. But then you're like, man, I want to capitalize more off the name. Then you come out with the Wii U, and that fucked up. Okay, so the Wii U. Okay, now remember the Wii. The Wii came out in 2006, just a year after um, the Xbox 360. Now, of course, graphics was not the aiming point here, but it was the innovation of the Wii controller, which broke perhaps countless TV screens. So, you know, following that, Nintendo, it was time to step it up a bit. But they figured, let's, let's use the Wii name. Everybody knows it. We sold over 200 million units of the Wii. People will buy it because it has Wii in the title. No, not quite. So, yeah, they came out with uh, the Wii U in 2012. Okay, it says here, failure is, of, failure is, of course, relative. Nintendo's second entry on its list managed to move north of 13 million units. That is not a lot. It sounds like a lot, maybe within the first two, three years, but we're talking for its entire existence. Uh, fresh off the successful Wii, the Wii U was the first out of the gate in the latest generation of consoles. The system featured a typically Nintendo innovative control scheme based around a touchscreen tablet, but the implementation was awkward and the company never quite found its footing. The product was discontinued after five years to make way for a far more fully formed Nintendo Switch. Again, this reminds me of the story of the Sega Saturn, where it was a throwaway system. It was a, it was a prototype, a foundation to something bigger, the Dreamcast. In this case, it was the Switch. This was more of an experimental console, because now the Switch is literally this Wii U, except you don't really need to have a TV. See, with that controller, with the Wii U, you had to still play it on a TV. Okay, and what the, the, the cool thing about the Wii U's controller was the fact it was supposed to show you, like, maps and little other little things on there and stuff like that so when you play like black ops on it black ops 2 you can see the map on the controller but it was such an awkward bulky thing but now we got the switch which is perfect because you could it's literally a hybrid of a handheld and console in fact the switch even killed the nintendo ds just like the nintendo ds killed the game boy what's the point of having a nintendo ds and a switch no point that's why the ds has disappeared so the wii u was pretty much already dead out of the water so it was on the the same level 
graphic playing feel as the PS3 and the Xbox 360. Now, the PS3 have already just came out in 2006, and the and the Xbox 360 already just came out in 2005. So this shit was already outdated in terms of hardware. Okay, now, just two years later, the PS4 came out, and just a year later, the Xbox One came out. So this was already dead in the water. But again, Nintendo was not always about graphics. They were always about hardware innovation. Even now, they're still very much behind the graphic spectrum. And this last one, number nine, which I never heard of, is called the Oya. Oya. Um, it's uh, uh, it looks like a really odd. Ugh. It looks like the Switch controller, but it just looks strange. Um, uh, it's spelled O U Y A. Never heard of it, but I'll skim through it really quickly. Uh, in Kickstart terms, at least the Oya was an unquestionable success. To this day, the set-top console is still the eighth most successful project in history, and the crowdfunding platform, the Android-based set-top box, was certainly priced right at $99 at retail, but the product was plagued with design issues, lack of original games, and ultimately couldn't find a place for itself in the massive gaming community. The Oya launched a scheme to help fund developers, but the device ultimately sank into obscurity two years after. Now, I can tell you right now on this list, it didn't mention a lot of fucking other games. I'm going to give you a, a few real quick before I go. I might even go over time with this one. Um, the Atari Jaguar. The Jaguar 64. Terrible. It, the controller had so many buttons, and it was just the most awkward thing. And it was supposed to deliver 64-bit graphics, and it did not. It looked nothing like 64-bit graphics. It looked horrible. It looked fucking horrible. And there's so many other game lists, um, games that didn't quite make that list, which is kind of sad. Because I can tell you right now, the yeah, um, the Gizmondo, okay, that made it. The Atari Lynx was another one. Um, it looked like a, a electronic tampon. If you look at the shape of the Atari Lynx, that's exactly what it looks like. Then, you you know, the, the Commodore CDTV, the Amiga, which didn't quite, which uh, didn't make that other list. The Panasonic Real 3DO was another one. The 32X, remember. The 32X was designed to produce 32-bit graphics on a 16-bit console. It was supposed to also um, in, in expand the longevity of the uh, of the Genesis. Yeah, that didn't quite work. Neo Geo was another one. Philips CDI from that infamous Mario game, uh, Zelda game. Yeah, that's an odd thing about it was that it had Nintendo games on a console that wasn't Nintendo. Make that make that make sense. Okay, um, and then the Sega Nomad was another one I mentioned earlier. It was literally a portable Sega Genesis, but it was so heavy. And it, and, and it even had the 16, um, I'm sorry, the 6-button uh, integrated into it, but it was just, it just wasn't it. It was just too big. And besides, by the time that shit came out, the Genesis was just about dead already. Um, so yeah, there's, um, there's a few other, those are some mentionables. Also, remember the PS... Uh, what the hell is that? The um, not the Vita, but yeah, the Vita, but also the uh, the PSP Go. Yes, the PSP Go was an all digital PSP, and it failed because let's be honest, not everybody had Wi Fi at the time. Duh. So yeah, without a physical feature to it, you had to download all the games digitally, and that didn't quite work out in time. Um, let me see if I can think of one more, just one more failed console and i will just leave it alone um i know i named the honorable mentions there's quite a few honorable mentions um but i i'd say personally my worst console failed con let me see 
Because I had a Game Gear, I had a Nomad, I had a Virtual Boy. I, I don't know which one is the worst one. They were all really good. I played them pretty decent, too. It's just... I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> but look, it goes to show that when you have a hit, you sometimes miss. And that's just the way it is. A lot of companies... You know, failure is a beautiful thing in the sense that you go back to the drawing board, you try harder, you do something different, and you find out where it went wrong. That's the beautiful thing about failure. So even in life, okay, you're not always going to have hits. You're going to have misses. And then you can sit there and figure where it went wrong. And that's what these companies did. Some learned from their mistakes and others didn't. You know, Nintendo learned, Sony learned, Sega somewhat learned, and then others just crashed and burned. They didn't get it. You know, some of them couldn't even recover. But, you know, that's just the, uh, the cost of business. And you guys, as the consumer, reap the benefits nonetheless, of their failures or their successes. All right, so hey, thanks for listening to this podcast. I've been waiting a while to do this particular episode. As you can tell from my language, you could probably feel my language on video games. I'm very passionate about video games. So yeah, I may talk a little fast about them. I may get a little bit more in-depth to it, but that's just uh, my, my thing, okay? So hey, thanks for listening to this podcast. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Um, again, the show's going to be a little bit more spread out. And again, it's it's one of them shows that, that has little to not much predictability. So I'm you know you just never know when an episode may hit. I will tell you though um, to give you some uh, a further forecast. In August, the majority of August will not be any episodes, um, work related stuff. Okay, so it's going to be about three weeks without an episode. So I'm going to try to get as much as I can in before then. But believe me, there's over 200 episodes you can go back and listen to, and then more to come. Yeah, there's going to be plenty of content to be uh, to keep you entertained until the end of August. So thanks for listening to this podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day. Get started with the week. Get yourself ready to go. Fourth of July is around the corner. Don't blow yourself up. And then, uh, you know, stay alive so you can listen to another episode. All right, so thanks again. Take care. Ciao.